0: It's fucking hot in it. It's too hot. Honestly, I was tempted just to wear a bra. Nice. I was come like, it might, I might. I it thought you might become. Awesome. Like, I thought you might become overcome. I didn't. I wouldn't be
1: overcome. I like come over, but that's different.
0: You have to get a step ladder.
1: <laughs> oh, so I get to
0: them. <laughs> Sorry, Kim's about to come over my tits. She's just got to be raised up a few cuts. <laughs> Not today, you hobbit.
1: Oh, I haven't got hairy feet. How do we know?
0: I can show you. It's too kinky for this time of night. I don't think we're ready for footing. <laughs> You'd be like that. You, do you like that, dear? Is that, is that what oh you're Oh my God.
1: For? You are really what? flexible.
0: We've had this conversation before. God, I can't do that. It's quite easy. You just get your leg and you just raise it up to your head. You've got a tattoo on your foot as well. I do, yeah.
1: It looks like a dollar bill.
0: <laughs> it's not a dollar bill. It's a Harry <laughs> It's a Harry Potter tattoo. But, oh, right. Because uh, it says mudblood. It just looks like a dollar bill from where I'm looking. <laughs> Damn the pixelation. No, yeah. Have you got any tattoos? No. Not even, like, get it here while it's hot? No. Not even a tramp stamp. Yeah, but when you were a surfer, I know your motto was, if it swells, ride it.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure that was my
0: motto. (laughs) Oh, no, that was a different Kim. That was a different Kim, my mistake. Was it? Yeah, I was just imagining somebody else. Was it Kim
1: Kardashian?
0: (laughs) Whoa. So, anyone who's not listening, it's hotter than Satan's sauna in the UK at the moment.
1: We've not done the
0: intro. Oh, shit! Do you want to do the intro?
1: Lesbian podcast where we critically assess and go in depth into random episodes of Call the Midwife, usually centred around the gays. Hello,
0: Charlie. Hi, Kim. Hello. And, guys, just for this month only, it's Pride Month. Happy Pride! Woohoo! Woo! We love you all, especially our allies. Thank you, Jane. We love you. We love you, Jane. You're our favourite ally. Oh, Portia was a good ally. Be Arthur. She was also a very good ally. Be Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. But in, like, a top 100, you're in there, mate. Oh, she's
1: definitely top 100. Definitely top 100. Like, if I
0: went to a Pride, I would imagine Jane would be at a booth saying free hugs. Oh,
1: I want a Jane hug.
0: Yeah. Like, do you know them, like, booths where they're like, I'll be your mum. And you're like, no. Oh, Jane. You childless heathen, come over here and let me hug you. And you're like, no, oh, no, it's fine. Oh, look overall, I don't know. Do you know what? I actually have to make a confession. I have never been to a pride event. Neither, Neither have I. I just, I'm, I'm too much of an introvert. I know that doesn't seem likely, but I just like the idea of just going to a big party. I'm like, yeah, it's loud.
1: Same. I'm the sort of person at the party that comes in, does a five-minute set,
0: and then wants to go, get paid. Yeah. I want to go I'm, If it's a party, I'm always in the kitchen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Eating the, shit. The amount of lovely
1: potted plants people have is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, isn't it? I love a, a, I love a rubber tree in the corner. I really do. <laughs> uh,
0: so that's very in now. All the uh, young things, all like everyone's like, you need more plants in your house. Yeah, more apparently. oxygen, more happiness.
1: Really?
0: I think I'd just be fucking stressed thinking I'd kill all these plants.
1: Yeah, I'm. I have no green fingers.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not. Actually, I'll I'll rephrase that.
1: I am not a plant person.
0: (laughs) I tell you something though. Like, I had a cactus called Digby when I was a kid, and um, Digby, Digby the cactus, and Digby had babies because it's self whatever plants do to make little... So there was a little baby cacti. Okay. And then my friend, we were pissed, and she opened a window and Digby took a tumble.
1: It sounds like the first line of some horror film, Digby took a tumble.
0: It did. And, you know, I I bought it when I was, like, 12. Bought myself a little cacti. It was a thistly one. A long, long, tall, thistly cactus called digby why digby i don't know i just thought it was really cute when i was 12 i was like i'm gonna call this cactus digby and obviously like i didn't have enough friends as a child clearly so there was no one to be like what a fucking weirdo yeah <laughs> yeah if anybody's listening and has names for their plants i tell you what else do you have a name for your car I do. (gasps) What's your car called? So we sort of touched on
1: this actually before. I inherited my first car. Um, Sort of. It was the first car that was only mine that I didn't have to share. Um, And I inherited it from my great aunt, who was called Chrissy. But it uh, was—it's a Scottish name because it's C H Y R. S S I E, so it's not Christine, and it's been shortened to Chrissy. It was actually Auntie Chrissy, and yeah. she was so fucking posh. It was unbelievable.
0: <laughs> I mean, seriously posh. Would it would it give Jess a run for her money? Um,
1: she didn't have money. She was just posh. Yeah, but she'd go to Henley every year. She had. Fr- she went on a private flight to go out to Rhodesia to see Sir Cyril Hattie, who apparently was some minister out there. there. She knew Anne, Duchess of Dowager, Duchess of Westminster. They used to play golf together. Um, She used to tell us stories about the Queen Mother loving um, Buckaroo. Apparently the Queen Mother loved Buckaroo. Who knew? Who knew? So posh. father was some big businessman that worked for some company that I can't remember the name of. So she was all privately educated and things. So, But my grandmother and her were first cousins, but they were both only children, so they were quite close. Yeah. So it's quite nice. Mm.
0: That does sound very posh. Mm. So
1: all my cars since then have all been called Chrissy. All of them? All of them. Wow. In honour of her. Cute.
0: And my first car. That's very cute. I have my first car was called Flo because she was red and she was a panda. She's a Fiat panda. She's basically like a box. She was a roller skate on wheels. She was an absolute death trap. <laughs> and I fucking loved her. I went everywhere. I went up to Scotland. I went to Wales. I went on these massive road trips and I was like, Oh yeah, with Flo And every single time I thought she'd like die on me and she's my girl. We always got through every M O T. <laughs> I was like this bitch nothing there's nothing to come off her she's got nothing on her to begin with nothing can fall off because everything's open. <laughs> but like if I went past if I went up any kind like literally like a slight incline and the glove box would slam open everything would spill out I love that fucking car I was really I'm sad sure. when I had and then she got um, done up the back someone trashed her poor Flo and i was so like this is my baby we've been all over the the fucking country together we've gone on some mad fucking weekends we've had a great time in flow i fit like nine people in it we all have a good time in flow (laughs) and then i got a really sexy convertible called did you yeah i had a hard top red convertible called roxy what was it roxy that's a sexy name yeah, she was a fucking hell, I can't... Renault? No, she wasn't. I can't even remember. She was sexy, and um, and then yeah, we, she was really inconvenient. Because the thing is, in the UK, we get like four days of hot weather a year. This currently is number having, one. Yeah, yeah, this is the first day currently, and we're all melting. So a convertible is completely and utterly pointless because you can never have the roof off because every time you took the roof off it would piss it down and I didn't give a shit I fucking loved that car it was a sexy car I and now know I what my... she was uh, I can't she was a Vauxhall Astra CDTI nice yeah wasn't a Vauxhall Tigra they were nice no no it wasn't a Tigra it was an Astra but it was really extended and she was ever so fucking heavy because when the roof was off you had to really force the doors open so they were like lead lined or something it was ridiculous they were so heavy and um yeah good times in that car and now i've got like a a grown up mature person sensible car oh what you got i've got a renault capture
1: nice car though I nearly bought a mm.
0: Renault capture. Last time I went for a, an Astra instead. I think though that's how you know you're nearly about to be because I'm going to be 30 this year. And I was thinking about it and I was literally like, hm, I can get absolutely perfect mileage from this. It's really economical. I Load like the cal- way. Oh yeah,
1: but the practicality of the back seats moving as well to give you a bigger boot or a bigger oh it's cabin amazing.
0: space. Oh, it's, it's, fabulous amazing. Co- it's, amazing. it's fabulous for the It's fabulous for the cocker spaniel on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> If my friends, you know, well, if need that's to fit... what you call it. <laughs> if my friends need to fit their buggy in a car seat in the back. I'm your, I'm your girl. But yeah, I was like, fuck me, like from flow. I miss, I miss my flow. We
1: you couldn't all miss all fucking
0: flow. <laughs> We all miss flow. Um, but yeah, this is this has been a right old tangent. Um, if anybody's had a real, what, what was, was e-
1: Samal? Edits, edits. She will edit we?
0: this out. I in Sam, we have faith. In Sam we trust Sam edit this out she won't. <laughs> <laughs> no no I have faith this will not reach any listeners ears but if it should reach your listeners ears hit us up on the discord and tell us what your first car was and if it had a name yeah and why it's called that why it's called that why was so yours was called Chrissy mine was called Flo because she was red so my friend was like huh, Aunt Flo and that's that's how That's how we got the name. If and if anyone actually
1: had a pussy wagon, please let us know.
0: (gasps) I bet Danny had a pussy wagon.
1: I bet Danny had a pussy wagon. Danny's lately
0: had a pussy wagon, and even if it wasn't called the pussy wagon, it was the pussy wagon. It was known as the pussy wagon. (laughs) So, Kim, what are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking gin and tonic. Very adult drink for the
1: discerning customer. Did I have had this as well though, because I had a curry with my tea. But you can't not have the curry. No, curry.
0: it's against the law, isn't it? Oh, is it? I don't know. I feel like there should be a law. Oh, it
1: might be. It might be.
0: Do you have a really hot curry? No.
1: I like to taste it.
0: You have a coma. Like
1: taste. I like to taste
0: what I eat. Did you have a coma?
1: No, I had a pasanda.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the sophisticated person's <laughs> corner. Bloody leather a Um A bloody
1: leather a I
0: do. Oh, they love a curry in Wales. Um, <laughs> I've, I've actually... <laughs> a bloody love a curry in Swansea. I have broken with <laughs> tradition and I'm not having vodka tonight. Oh. What, what? 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 So I tonight am making a banana daiquiri.
1: Oh Christ, that
0: sounds vile. I try. So I'm having. So it's got. I've got dead man's fingers, banana rum, which is forty five percent, which is lush, and then Eaton mess Bailey's. Then I've got some coconut milk um, and some ice, and I can tell you now it's pretty potent. <laughs> That sounds absolutely vile to me. So, I'll be honest, because usually I'll have, like, two vodka and cokes. I don't get really, really hammered. But I'm telling you right now as a warning, a trigger warning for anyone, I've had quite a few of these bad boys because it's quite warm. So, um, Jane, I am so sorry if it becomes quite crude. Sorry, Jane. Apologies now. We are so sorry, Jane. Anyone of a sensitive disposition... Carry Carry the volume. Honestly, anyone with a sensitive, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh God, if they're this deep,
1: they've not got a sensitive Like, You you
0: can take it, baby. I, at I, this I, point, I, we've got two viewers left, that's <laughs> it. They're like these dirty bastards. No, it's Pride Month. Representing. Yeah. Right, so today we're going to be talking about Series 5, Episode 7, which is the Gateways episode for anybody that's like, which episode is this? Um, that I was. <laughs> um, so, should we dive right in, or have you got any first thoughts? I think dive right in, Charlie. Oh, that's what I like. Okay. So the opening scene is Sister <laughs> <No> Julienne. preamble. <laughs> <laughs> so Sister Julienne is lighting a candle in the opening scene, but there's more and. I did notice with this episode they really chop especially at the end all of the scenes happen one after the other after the other and they're really trying to cram it in and make it work seamlessly and I think it's less clunky than previous episodes but I still think they try and cram in as much drama as possible Mmm Okay So it's just something to I'll see what you think when we go through it Um
1: Uh, uh, I thought this episode was quite well structured, actually. Surprisingly. I and thought it was less... well
0: structured, but I feel like they tried to shove a lot of storylines in.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Do you know what I mean? We could have done without
1: Leslie and his silly wife.
0: <laughs> his silly wife. I, I tell you what, Leslie is the stupid husband of the week for me. <laughs> I've got some thoughts on Leslie.
1: I can't remember a um, name. That's only why
0: I refer to as Leslie. Gina. Gina and Leslie. Gina. Gina. That's not I also a very nice. nice. They were giving. people pointing
1: to me outside my window. Hello.
0: Sorry. I also think, I noticed in this episode, they gave the mother's names. It wasn't Mrs. Something or Other. It was the mother. We got their first names really quick. I didn't even notice. Oh, so my I God, think, did you pick up on such little things. It's brilliant. I think it must have been a different writer for this episode. Should we check? For this reason, because the the fact that we're getting the mother's names, because I've complained about this in previous episodes where I've been like, they sh- they don't tell us what their names are. It's just, it's of frank. Oh, my
1: God. Do you think they've listened
0: to the podcast and changed it? <gasps> Maybe they went back and they were like, right, we shoot all of the scenes. <laughs> They're on to us. <sighs> That's the power of you. Wow. Power of us, baby. Not sure about that. Who wrote this one? Who wrote it? Who wrote it? Heidi wrote it. Heidi. Oh, Heidi. Heidi, we're on to you. We know she listens. She does. Heidi absolutely listens to tips. So the Jenny monologue is the usual claptrap. And it says, uh, you know, the women bound to an artist lived a life of duty rituals had to be performed. And I find this interesting because there's a juxtaposition because you have Sister Julianne who's lighting a candle and looking very careworn, so it sets the tone for her mental state throughout the entire episode of, you know, someone's lit the fuse to her tampon and she's a bit concerned about <laughs> it. <laughs> like honestly, she's, like, she's clearly due on in this episode. She is PMSing hard. But Patsy and Delia are also in bed together. Yes, in the opening, okay um,
1: it was interesting to use the terminology of ritual. Yeah,
0: rituals and, must be m- that had to be performed.
1: Yeah, it has
0: to be performed.
1: The ritual yeah, of love has mm. to be performed.
0: I I read it differently in that rituals had to be performed in that she has to leave the no. ritual that she has to be in her own room. I can't, yes, I, say. I
1: felt uh, ah, so I read it the other way, as in the ritual is that love needs to be um needs to be shown, and ah oh, interesting,
0: I tell you what else I noticed as well, because there's a lot of obviously they're talking about the pill, this is the episode where they introduced the pill, mm. and um there's a lot of apples being eaten throughout it and obviously whenever we think of apples there's (laughs) a lot of symbolism going on in this episode and everyone's like oh not more fucking apples and um and then you've obviously got the sinning lesbians and you've got the unwed masses who are having recreational sex like whores and um it's just it's very interesting that it's almost like they're saying you know sin is happening and rah rah rah. Mm. But it's a very heavy-handed metaphor that's kind of threaded throughout the episode. Oh, I feel
1: like everything in this episode... Sorry, Heidi, I feel like everything in this episode was quite heavy-handed.
0: Mm-hmm. But can we just talk about the very important thing? When Patsy and Delia are in bed, Patsy is the big spoon, canonically. Oh, of course. Obviously. I See, I always have her in her head as the small spoon. Because I think the... You know, the more kind of cold and austere and out of touch with your emotions, the more you need to be the little spoon. Mm, No, she's protective and she's caring. Uh, I suppose if you view her motivations as purely protective, but Patsy needs a hug. I really like in my head, I'm always like. No, because her coldness
1: and her distance is that she has to be giving, not receiving. So she can give things. She can give love and she can give affection. But her coldness cannot receive those things.
0: She doesn't know how to receive. She doesn't know how to receive. And that's their challenge.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's a beautiful. challenge
1: for us all. If anybody wants to help me with that particular challenge, then I'm open
0: to it. Kim is open to receiving from the right, the right key to your lock. From the right giver. Yeah. So if anyone wants to give Kim one. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> she's available
1: (laughs) yeah Monday through Friday (laughs) Saturdays are taken
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's quite cute though because Patsy does stroke her hair doesn't she and kind of like she looks there's affection there there's love and affection and it's it's also like who the fuck wants to get out of bed and also can we talk about the fact that they were canonically fucking in the middle of the artist now we know they were And I think it's backed up by the the pill chat. So they were, like, out of everyone in that house, they were the ones that were getting some. Yeah, of course. Which is why they're so relaxed.
1: But, But the only thing stopping Barbara and Tom getting some is their own morality and the fear of pregnancy.
0: Yeah, which obviously...
1: It's not desire that's stopping them. It's not want that's stopping them. No. And the, the lesbians don't have that. The lesbians no, are already can't. pariahs. They're never going to get pregnant.
0: So, you know, let's go for it. Exactly. But, they're, they're, I mean, like, this just opens the whole thing. And, like, it might. And also, can we talk about Emerald Fennel's legs? How good oh are her my legs look? Oh, God. At this? so. They're lovely. Wow. Legs. She's got a good set of pins on her.
1: Yeah. She's, she looks good this series altogether, to be fair. She does.
0: I mean, this was her. This was her series. This was where yeah. she was at her her best her best patsy um as patsy goes into her room there's a bit of a because she goes through through the bedroom door and then barbara comes out of her bedroom oh it's a benny hill reference yeah oh my god sorry
1: (laughs) perhaps in tune next time might help
0: (gasps) bitch (laughs) but um but yeah so barbara sneaks out to look out to see tom leaving his Flat. Oh, it's and so chaste and so lovely and sweet. Like, it's adorable. Meanwhile, Patsy's like, oh, I have absolutely banged Delia's brains out. She'll yeah. she'll she'll be having a lie in. Let me tell you, I'm fucking naked myself. <laughs> she won't be walking straight today. She won't be walking straight ever. So, in the next scene, um barge people are opening locks. So, for anyone who's bargees, in- bargees. But anyone who's not from the UK, they don't have canals. Not everywhere has a canal. Really? So do you want to explain what a canal is? Yes, a canal is a, effectively a water highway. Precisely. And during the Industrial Revolution, they built these huge... Basically, the precursor to motorways and to big, heavy roads. And all of the cargo was distributed where you would have a boat... And you would have oxen or horses and they would go either side of the this narrow little bit of water and they would drag it and the coal and cargo and, and lumber would all be transported on these riverways. And because obviously Great Britain is not flat, you have hills. So what was devised was a, what's the system called a lock. So basically the boat, it goes into this holding area and then the water level is decreased or increased and then you can go up a hill and you basically do like a stepping motion um which is pretty cool considering the technology they had at the time that they worked that out but now the uk is littered with these beautiful locks very good for holidays oh a canal boat holiday my mate lives Mm. on a canal boat really i know people that
1: have lived on canal boats as well
0: yeah and also the community that's seen here the canal boat community um, so my, where I live, my town, we are like, we've always kind of been the logistics hub, even down to the canal system. So we have these huge amounts of canal walkways and there's a canal museum that you can go to, which someone has always cleverly scratched off the C. So it says anal museum. And no matter how, every time they replace the sign, someone goes along and does it again. So it's just up. like, just like <laughs> canal street. Yeah. Anal treat. Um, but there's, um so these people were effectively like an enclosed community. So they didn't really engage. They were very suspicious of people who were living on the land. Um, and they were a very, like, they would only marry into other canal families. And they were effectively like the gypsies or the travellers that you have today. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say from the episode
1: we saw previously mm-hmm. with um, Maria Doyle Kennedy in her yeah. finest... Irish accents
0: yeah but she so they but in my town we so they wouldn't get a lot of medical help but where Stoke Bruin which is an area near me they had a nurse who basically was the bargees nurse so if you were sick you would get down to Stoke Bruin and there was a nurse and she she was funded by the Bajis. Um and she wasn't a bargee she was a nurse who basically she had like a little hut near the canal and anybody that was sick, they would come down or they would be brought down. So if you were sick, you would pass them to another bargee who was going south. And um she would look after them there. And she looked after the bargee community for, I think, like 70 years. And when she passed away, she was the only... They built her a boat. And she was... So they would burn the boats and things like that once you had passed on. So she was treated as an honorary bargee for all of her work, for... That, like they wouldn't go to other people, they were very suspicious of the medical system, so I find it interesting watching this episode because I was reading this story a couple of months ago, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, no, like I totally get it, but yeah, so the so Daisy, who is the pregnant mum of the week um she uh she's opening the locks, which is a really hard job as well because you have to crank. And she was, later on, she's like, it's only, it's women's work, always has been. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. so the man stands on the boat and does fuck all, and the woman goes out and does the hard labour. Such is life. As always. As it was, will it always be. Exactly. Um, but because she's, like, nine months pregnant, she collapses. Um, and I have to say, the husband is, like, he's almost useless husband of the week, but uh, Gina's husband takes the cake. Because he's like, Lou, your mother's taken ill. So he doesn't even... And then, like, he takes forever. Um, with But with the greatest of respect, the boat is in a lock. It can't go
1: sideways. It can't go forwards or backwards. It is stuck. You can get off onto the fucking ladder and help your wife, you lazy twat.
0: Yeah. He's like, Lou, I'm like, what is a nine-year-old going to do that you as the parent should not be doing. Like you, well, at, it's women's work. That's what Women's it is. work. It's women's work? work. It's fucking ridiculous. So, yeah, anyway, Patsy, Trixie and Barbara, they turn up at clinic. It's the morning. Phyllis is running shift and they get a lecture on how they need to turn up from eight. So they need to be in before eight o'clock so they can be ready to start at eight. Now, I actually agree with Phyllis because I have given this lecture. <laughs> you psychotic manager of the week. No, I've fucking given this lecture, like, if your shift starts at, like, half seven, you need to be in at 20 past seven.
1: Oh, you see, I don't understand these concepts, because I work flexi-time. Ah,
0: fuck off. I I can roll in whenever I want, that's wonderful. Just really irritates me, and especially like I can see from Phyllis's perspective, like you have to give that morning handover, and you have to orientate your shift and make sure things are done, and people are just bowling in when you're like ready to get off, and you're like taking the fucking piss. Also, if Phyllis, Barbara, Trixie, and Patsy are all in the morning roll call, who is doing the night shift? Sister Julianne, which is why she's pissed. <laughs> she's sleep deprived,
1: and.
0: Sheila? No, it can't be Sheila. Sheila doesn't work for an artist. She works. No, but she's Turner's in the maternity. She might be in the maternity home though, and they might have said, "Yeah, you're pregnant.
1: We can't come round, you fucker. Go to the maternity home."
0: No, I just I'm like, it's convenient. These are the are the singing nuns pulling the night shift. Why do we ever meet the singing nuns?
1: The singing nuns don't do work. They just sing. They're filler.
0: I want They're their poly filler. I want their fucking job. Also, can I point out, while Phyllis is giving the lecture, Patsy's yawning because she's been been up all night having sex. Yeah, she's, she's yeah. She's like, I mean, I've, I've pulled a late one. What the hell is she going to do with
1: her fingers all day? There's no work in them. They don't. <laughs> they just they, live.
0: They're, they're, they're like, oh, no. She's like, oh, I really hope I don't have to, don't put me on districts. I can't be doing bandages. People are going to, like, have all... <laughs> My fingers... My fingers have been in Delia all night. Exhausted.
1: There's nothing more I can do with them. That's it. I mean, I'm surprised she's chatting.
0: She'll be like, "You're right, Patsy." She's like, "Doing really well for her. tongue's exhausted." (laughs) It is a muscle, after all. (laughs) She's like, "I need some protein powder, quick." She's got Um, doms in the tongue. (laughs) Tim then turns up with a bag of insulin, and they're all like, "Oh, Tim, you're a character." Um, oh, you exist, hello You exist, and then Cynthia Because obviously you have to remember the the episode previously Cynthia was attacked Cynthia's kind of in the background and, um, and she kind of They're like, oh Cynthia, you've done so well Since you were beaten and abused And she's like, I'm oh well, I hardly think of it now I'm basically cured, thank you for asking Oh, I'm here at 10 to 6 I'm fine
1: I don't have hello. a knife
0: The trauma keeps me asleep Denali just a river and then she's like so Cynthia goes to have a little chat with, with Julianne and they have a little chat and Cynthia and Julianne talk so in, initially Julianne's like I want to send you to the mothership um because the mothership you know, the mothership, the mother house I want to send you to the mothership because obviously like six weeks ago you were really badly beaten but because of staffing I couldn't let you go so um <laughs> I have to keep you in on my squad. <laughs> I've had to keep you on the squad um, but I mean I'm probably going to send you there for a bit of prayer and you'll be grand for a couple of weeks and then you can come back and Cynthia's like I hardly think about the terrible assault that scarred my psyche more on that later in the series um, the aftercare people Where, what aftercare was there was she literally like a week later back on her bicycle <laughs> don't have to do nights Cynthia you can have a month off nights how about that mm, that's, it
1: probably wasn't even a Month. it was probably you could have a week off
0: nights yeah then you're back on the roster baby um but yeah so um, and then they start talking about evangelina and like Julianne is proper hankering after evangelina she's like i miss my right hand man you know she was she was the she was the muscle i was the voice of reason <laughs> she's
1: like a bear with a sore head isn't she in this episode
0: Oh, she's proper grumpy. She's proper grumpy. Honestly, I'm like, mate. But she like, she's. and then they start talking about Evangelina. And um, so she then leaves and Monica Joan is having a huff because people have gifted her more free fruit. And oh, apples. more apples. More apples. More crab um,
1: apples and russets. Oh, I love a russet. Yeah, we I used to like have it, a, a russet pink in garden. Oh, pink I like lady. pink lady. Yeah, pink lady. but russets make exceptionally good crumble.
0: Mm-hmm. And my mum go.
1: pulled our russet tree down. I was very upset.
0: Oh, no. We
1: had five apple trees in our garden that we grew from pips. And my mum pulled them all down. Why? Because they were old and she didn't like them and she wanted to change them.
0: <sighs> takes ages to establish an
1: apple she, tree. She's just like the BBC.
0: <laughs> That's not good.
1: <laughs> too old now get rid of it
0: but yeah so monica jane is complaining about apples and she notices that um julian's got a letter for evangelina in her pocket and she says are you begging her to come back and then um, she's like i won't give you any more information but evangelina <laughs> has been at the silent order for six months and she needs to come back um and I just, Monica Jordan loves it, loves Evangelina. They're absolute goals, these two. They're like hinge and bracket, aren't they? They're just meant to be yeah. together. Yeah. They love each other. They do. So the next scene, Barbara goes to some flats and meets Mrs. Matcliffe, who's called Gina. And when she walks in, Gina's standing on a chair and painting the walls. Um, Babs tell her to chill the fuck out Because she's on a chair And it's all very dangerous And then her Useless husband of the week turns up He's called Leslie um, And he kind of sits with a paper And she's like Aren't you excited to be a dad's Leslie? And he's like "Uh," And then goes back to his newspaper He's completely absent Like 100% Completely absent And it only gets worse It does It does Leslie is shit husband of the week. So, next scene, Dr. T and Julianne are having a little chitter-chatter about the pill. Julianne is troubled. Sheila's also in the office. Um, And I I think it's interesting because Sheila's loyalties are very split when it comes to Dr. Turner and Julianne, because Julianne's almost like her maternal figure and her moral compass. But because she's 1950s housewife mentality... Dr. Turner is her husband and therefore she should take her lead from him and Mm. in most things she does take the lead but you can see there's that conflict whenever the Dr. Turner and Julianne disagree.
1: Yes but also it's Sheila's own religious beliefs as well. I think there's an internal conflict going on as
0: well as an external conflict. Definitely. Um, but Dr. Turner is basically saying, you know, it's marvellous, the pill will come in, and, you know, it can stop unwanted pregnancies, and it's really going to help people's quality of life. That Julianne is like, mm, I am worried that this might encourage unmarried women to start having sexual relations.
1: Sexual um, relations.
0: And Dr. Turner's like, you know, 10% of the children born in Poplar are illegitimate. And Julianne's like, hmm, but, you know. And then at this point, Sheila goes, would you like a lemon puff? Um, Julianne. And Julianne's Would you face, like a lemon puff,
1: Sister Julianne?
0: And Julianne's face goes really sour and she's like, No, I don't want your lemon puffs, Sheila. Um, unmarried women whores might have squirted all over them in the factories. I don't know. Send, bring me an arrow biscuit. I'd eat I w- them. I'd, I'd want eat to- them. <laughs> I'd eat I, it. I want I'd eat the squirt to be plain. <laughs>
1: but but the point is it's uh it's trying to show that Sister Julianne is about life without frills frills, and life without certain pleasures, yeah, and certain pleasures can be resisted and certain pleasures can be denied yeah um whereas some people will say, have the puff, it'll be all right, go on, have the puff.
0: You like I think it. As, Come on. I think as well, Sheila has definitely given in since she gave up her nunhood. She's, um, she's the pleasures of the flesh. She's into the pleasures of the flesh. You know, she's much more frivolous. She likes her fashion. You know, um, she wants babies. She she is career minded. She's an intelligent woman. She is successful in a different way. And I feel like in this moment, Julianne is kind of putting that power trip on her when she says, do you have a play and a biscuit? She's sort of saying to her like, "Remember, I have oh, this religious order. and remember, it yes, remember your own religious values, Sheila. All of these young women will be being banged to rights from left well, to right. Well, they'll be right. banged It might not be used. to the right; it might be to the left. Who knows? Who <laughs> knows? Front to back. Um, oh. They're going to be oh, Charlie, don't. absolutely going to be smashed in." She, like Julienne's afraid like, for everyone. and Sheila, Sheila's like, Do you want a biscuit? And she's like, This is not the time for biscuits, Sheila. Stop with your biscuit shit. I'll have an arrow yeah. biscuit. Um Still a biscuit, Julianne. It's it still is. a biscuit. Still having a biscuit. Still having um, a biscuit. No matter how you bite it. Um it's later still a biscuit. on Julianne's sulking in her office because she hasn't got what she wanted. Um Cynthia comes in and is like, Will you come for dinner? And she's like, No, I wish to pray. Um <laughs> I wish to pray. I wish to pray for all the women who are about to be filled in. Um and then she goes By to her pill. knees and, <laughs> and then she goes to her knees and prays with the Bible and sings a verse of every sperm is sacred. The next thing, sa- I don't people I don't think that happened. I think Charlie's made that up. No, that's it's, it's on the BBC iPlayer. It's clearly not in the Netflix, but uh, it's in the version I watched. <laughs>
1: I don't believe you.
0: Wow, thousands wouldn't. Um, then in the next scene: Tom sneaks his way into artist to snog Barbara. Um, <gasps> tiger, Tiger, for shame! Oh, how cringe was that song? Um, uh,
1: I think it, Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'll come on to my views
0: on that later, but okay. Okay. Um, so he sneaks into the house, and um, he explains, as a bit of filler, that he has got um, <laughs> a tub he, did,
1: he didn't fill her, people. <laughs> not spoiler, he did not fill her.
0: He abs- actually, I have a query about this, but um, obviously it's accentuated later on that um, he explains how he, she's like oh Tom you've got loads of oil in your hair and he's like I went to a funeral been to last rites people accept a certain level of grooming um, it's like alright Tom not on stars of your eyes um, <laughs> meanwhile Patsy and Winnie attend the barge I don't know like they've been told they have to go in twos and this is kind of the start of it's a similar thing with the traveller community like they're not very well trusted they're mistrusted by society especially by like the medical organisations and the police and things like that. So the fact they've been told to go in twos kind of sends that message. Back to Barbs and Tom who are dancing to a text tech- sexy song about losing your V plates. Go on. No, no go. you go. What No you said te- I don't you said you had something to say about the Tiger song. No, 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 not the song. Just the
1: um uh i have if if, i we need to come on to it when we're talking about patsy and delia's dance because i feel like the they're mirrors and i'll explain why
0: oh okay i love this back at the barge so patsy and no does it patsy and winnie arrive at the barge but daisy doesn't want to engage with them um she's like no i don't need your help thank you very much they've got all these kids um but the husband says actually no i think you should go and get yourself checked out there's no point why don't you come down to the the bottom of the barge and get checked out um as as they're sitting down daisy gives a a a brief history of barge women for and it's kind of a filler for the viewer so they understand what is going on um but basically she's like you know locks is women's work and you know you see uh none of the kids go to school so most of them can't read or write um there's a poor level of education they tend to marry within the community it's a very insular community and it's fosters this sense of distrust which is then ameliorated by the fact that the system then doesn't trust that person yes so it's a it's two groups which just don't have any kind of truck with one another and they tend to just avoid one another um and it's it's sad really because this entire culture's largely disappeared you don't have the same you don't have barge people anymore completely disappeared not largely completely disappeared Mostly because of the motorways and the opening of cars and stuff, like, because a lot of the barge people their their job was to take lumber or coal or whatever, heavy goods from one end of the country to the other. And with the use of, you know, HGV lorries and motorways and all of that, it basically eradicated their entire way of life.
1: In a way, the railways didn't,
0: which is interesting. Yeah. yeah the railways and the canals complemented
1: each other when the motorways came and mr marples is you know the minister of transport whose family had a construction company that
0: built roads yeah Yeah. it's great interesting um in the next scene babs and tom are having a full-on make-out sesh and he somehow managed so sexy (laughs) is it what yeah Um, also, can I point out? Okay, Tom and Barbara have been going out for what two episodes, mm. and they're basically oh, have
1: this snogging. whole this whole snogging was a yeah. to put the pill conversation in context, but also to put the gateway scene in context.
0: Yeah, but also I feel really frustrated because we had to wait what four three seasons? Oh yeah, for a one lesbian kiss and. Um, you know Patsy and Delia are clearly in a long-term relationship they could have kissed there was no reason why they couldn't have been another kiss like when they're in the kitchen together or when they're in we'll gateway. come on to that we'll come on to these because I've got they, views on this they absolutely could have kissed but they didn't kiss whereas Tom and Barbara who you know Tom's a priest and Barbara is a priest's daughter who effectively should have these I really thought you were strict- gonna say Barbara's a priestess then <laughs> <laughs> but like they should not be having make-out sessions and snogging because you know they're supposed Why to be not? holier than that because they're supposed to be holier than now I know it's I know like religion is all full of hypocrisy but like you know do as i say not as i do but at the same time like these guys are getting a full-out snog session as and a far marriage... as
1: i can see the bible says nothing about french kissing and groping it's all about it whether it
0: doesn't <laughs> well there we go all it says is if a man lays with another man he should be stoned and i'm sure it helps um i i would imagine it does
1: yeah
0: but as there loosens snogging. up the uh yeah also right okay this is interesting what's your definition of snogging
1: my definition of oh christ okay my definition of snogging is probably french kissing with a bum grope yeah or a boo grope
0: so i would say like so if you're so i know like americans call it making out but you know like for i don't know whether it's with you but like we never, no one I ever knew when I was growing up would call it making out. They'd go, oh, no, it was, we had a snog. A, they were snogging. Yes. Oh, yeah, I had a bit of a snog. Yeah. Um, and a snog is basically French kissing with a grope. Yeah. Attached. Yeah. Like, you know, and like all that second base. Yeah, yeah, like you do you, hun. But it's kind of, yeah, snogging is like a very intense kissing. Yeah, um, make out session. Yeah. 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 but like i still probably wouldn't call it making out i would still be no like, it'd be a snog snogging. we had a snog yeah 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 so i think so if anyone like who's not from the uk is going god what is a snog a snog is just french kissing with a lot of i don't know Touching. I, st- I still don't understand what second base third base and i i've got no
1: clue i've got, not got, a fucking got no clue. clue
0: i know you can slide into them but i don't know how you slide into them Sam, this would be a perfect time put a little insert so you can explain what all the bases. Oh mean. yeah, I
1: love Sam's yeah. inserts.
0: I love. Her, I'm sure her wife does too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as they're snogging, um, his like first of all, Barbara's the one that's pushing him against the wall. Barbara's got a lot of pent up sexual frustration. Um, but he somehow needs it. Yeah, like it's so it's like being savaged by Mickey Mouse, but fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he somehow manages to rub an entire jar's worth of brill cream onto the wall. Like how much did was it basically just, was he just putting lard into his hair? Yeah, basically. I mean it's it's disgusting. It's it's a lot, isn't it? Like could you imagine snogging someone with that much gel in their hair? No. It's Frankly. an awful lot. Um, but they break apart, and then Julianne walks in, and she's like, "Ah, Reverend." Oh, hello, vicar. Hello, vicar. Um, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, just coming in for the old prayers," and she's like, "Oh, well, the singing nuns are just climbing out of the sewer, so if you want to join us, <laughs> um, we basement. we won't we won't take the cameras with us because they have no names or identity." Um, singing nuns. The next scene. Patsy and Winnie are talking about the Barge family issues and, um, you know, they're talking about how they're not educated and and they're very judgmental. And I think, um, especially in healthcare, like you always have a responsibility to question your own biases and whether it's, uh, A bias that you're aware of or not you always have to be able to go in and go it is irrespective of what my personal opinions are like they absolutely don't matter what matters is what you need and how you wish things to be structured because it's your care um but i i noticed and actually patsy does grow with this and she does say it later on like we'll go with whatever you want Mm. but i think it's interesting that patsy kind of loses sight of that yeah um and Phyllis is very knowledgeable about the water gypsies, which she probably would do because there's a lot more canals up north because of the coal and because of... The Bridgewater Canal. Yeah, The famous one. Very famous. Um, but Phyllis, somehow with her hawk eyes, spots the stain on the wall because Phyllis is everybody's mum secretly. And she's like, what is that? What's that on the wall? This dirty... This is the same height as Reverend Herrewood. I wonder how that happened. Um, and The ectoplasm. Yeah, Monica Jones he's, says it's. He's jizzed all over the wall. <laughs> he's absolutely could, couldn't contain himself. He's That's the only thing. Mate, if you get a UV light on this this wall, Oh. Yeah. Um. Me, so while they're all discussing what it might be, Monica Jones thinks it's ectoplasm. Barbara's just dying inside of an absolute like oh it's
1: like it's like like that comedy scene we've all played in our own lives when we're trying to pretend something hasn't happened it's like oh what's happened what is it oh
0: my lord wow oh good gracious me how did that get there no I don't even know who bought that you'd you'd wonder where you'd buy them (laughs) (laughs) honestly I reckon it was left by the previous tenant. Um. <laughs> um well, that's an appliance for stiff necks. I don't know what it is. Oof. Um. Julianne then kind of struts in and she's like, "Everybody, everybody. Um, I am going to do a seminar n- tomorrow night with Doctor Turner about the pill." And Trixie's immediately like, "Uh, sorry. Um, just to bring all the attention back to me. Um, I am an I am an alcoholic and I can't attend." And Julian's like, "Yes, of course. You don't have to attend." Um. Because she probably like, already thinks she's on it, to be fair. <laughs> Trixie absolutely is on it. I don't know No, she's not. We know she she would she's be. not. If she was in this time, she absolutely would be. We know she's not. Poor Trixie. She's not, um, she's not sexually active, so why would she be on the pill? But I find it, it's like proper comedy, because Julian's like, I regret to inform you that the pill may be going live. And all the young ones are like, <gasps> it's Oh, so Julianne's like, No, you whores. Are you all having unprotected sex? Moral is a moral issue. Um, so they all go, absolutely. And then Julianne's like, oh, I miss Evangelina. I really miss Evangelina. She would have been on my side. She would have been on my side. Um, Why isn't Nurse Crane on my side? I know. And Nurse Crane is like, Well, you know, I was banged by a sergeant. So <laughs> I liked it. Uh, I bloody loved it. It's like that, um, I
1: was banged by a sergeant and I liked it. That should have been the song, that I kissed a girl and I liked it. That's the name
0: it. of today's episode. I was banged by a sergeant and I liked it. <laughs> um, I, right, liked that, it I liked it. I liked it. Taste li- of his Jimmy <laughs> chapstick. No, because he was Canadian, wasn't he? Maple syrup chapstick oh the maple syrup oozing out the end it was glorious
1: um next scene. oh my god your tongue actually looked like a penis then it had a little eye
0: and everything um so the next <laughs> scene is the gladys knight institute i'm actually going to stick some googly eyes on it and then just see how long it takes you to work it out for the next one stop flicking your tongue at me i can't you... do it like I don't even know how to explain what's happening at the minute. God, I feel like I need a lie down. It's actually. But yeah, back to the Gladys Knight Institute. Oh, my God, stop it. It's too much. (laughs) (laughs) But back to the Gladys Knight Institute. Monica Joan is doing crafts with the kids, which I think is adorable. Um, I think I've Gina. actually strained my tongue <laughs> It really hurts <laughs> You've only been doing it for 12 seconds Mate, yeah, you have got where... to build up your stamina I, I tried to go really far though <laughs> Were you really trying to just like Yeah, it's really long
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's longer than yours, <laughs> fuck off <laughs> you
0: No, know, how dare you Everything's relative. I'm like a normal human size, so it's actually a normal. It's probably the same size, but everything's so much smaller. Uh, so Gina, who's the anxious mum who's decorating with the shit husband, she says her husband appears vacant and doesn't seem excited about the baby. And I'm like, is he having like he's depressed or he's not? And we never really find out what the crack. No, is. he just doesn't like, fucking care. He's literally like, Meh. He feels um, trapped.
1: Yeah.
0: So next scene, Sheila asks Julianne to sign some forms for unmarried mums, and Julianne's like, righto. Um, and that kind of leads on not to this episode, but an episode in advance where they talk about the pill a little bit deeper. Um, Daisy arrives. Uh, this is the barge lady. And she's had another fainting spell. It turns out that Daisy has low blood pressure, and she's also anemic. So bed rest... Um, is kind of suggested she needs to go to the mother and baby's home, but she explains that that's against her creed and it's kind of pushing against what her values are. Her personal values are, you should always be working because this is a hand-to-mouth existence. Um, so any form of leisure or sickness just impacts on the whole family. And as the parent, that's her responsibility. But um, she you know, they kind of sell it to her and Patsy explains, you know, your kids are going to go to school, Winifred's already enrolled them which in itself I think is a bit cheeky because they've kind of done it and then, I understand why they've done it, but they've done it as a we know best scenario which is only going to alien, alienate her in the long run
1: Yeah, and it's completely the antici- 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 <laughs> ant- ant- antithesis yes of how sister mary cynthia dealt with the um traveling community in her episode
0: yeah i feel like mary cynthia would have been a lot more sympathetic to this particular community in the way they were yeah absolutely. but this is very much um you must assimilate to what our society says that children should be doing but the
1: children want to assimilate that's the that's the thing that I don't know whether they want
0: to assimilate I think a part of them probably wants to learn to read and write like we get the impression that Lou is a very intelligent and bright girl absolutely she wants that education so I don't necessarily think that they're unhappy with their lifestyle but I think you know as they're going around the country I imagine they've probably seen other children and thought I would like to have those skills and ultimately within about 20 years their entire community will be disbanded so but I think the, the point is you can retain
1: your sense of community and your your particular sense of where you come from and be open to things that will help in life like education yeah. um I, to and I you see that to some extent in the father who is pushing his wife to get better medical care. Yeah. You see that in the mother who is open to her children going to school. It's not like, no, nah, you yeah. don't need it. You're going to be a bargie and you'll be a bargie all your life. Yeah. You know, these things are not mutually exclusive. A good education, a sense of a real true sense of where you've come from are not mutually exclusive.
0: They can live together in harmony. And I think as well, this is a disconnect within the community itself, because this is a dying community. And Mm. ultimately, most of these people, they either went and bought and engaged within traveller community and were kind of emerged within that community. Or they had to join the rest of the country and get on board and buy houses and become quite stationary. So this is a dying community and there has to be a level so I think it's interesting because I think with the traveler community they were completely disparate they were like no you will have to come to us you will have to provide us with things here we will we are a strong and large I suppose the difference between the a traveler difference. community it's are a, community they are, a they are a big they, community they all they travel in packs but
1: also their community was based on going from horses to vehicles yeah so they had a natural progression to keep Mm -hmm. their community going whereas the bargees didn't they either their community was completely swallowed up by the hgv trade so maybe some of them went very early into barge holidays and you know canal tripping but that to me seems like more of a product of the 90s and the noughties yeah. than it perhaps was the 60s and the 70s so i really feel that there was no natural progression for them where there was a natural progression for for the traveling community
0: but as well like from the mother's perspective she was raised in this community this community was always going to be linear it was always going to continue her children were going to have the same childhood that she was and there was no necessity to integrate because they were always going, her children were going to have her life, they were going to marry a a man with a barge, and they would go on and carry on, but I imagine for them, they would have seen the M1 being built, they would have physically seen that there were less barges about, less trade, you know, she says like her husband had to give up a job, there would have been less and less jobs as more HGV lorries kind of became the norm and the cheaper option, and they there would have been this internal pressure and this knowledge perhaps of self-awareness to be like we will have to integrate a little bit or we will have to integrate totally so our children will need skills that we do not possess and actually she can't read so when they're saying like oh can you um can you sign to say this is your birth date and this is your address she's like oh I left my reading glasses at home and they kind of and julienne's like not julienne um cynthia not cynthia sheila sheila (laughs) try again (laughs) it's the it's the rum um but sheila kind of goes don't worry i'll 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 type it up because i I mean the thing is though but i don't reckon that it would have been that unusual for somebody to be illiterate at this stage because Although schooling was something that would pe- children were cons- they should schooling go to. Schooling was compulsory at this point, I think. It was compulsory, but a lot of the parents, it wasn't compulsory for them. Yeah. So illiterate. I mean, there's still illiteracy. Like,
1: oh, I yeah. think, like 10 percent
0: of the community is illiterate within the UK. It's a really sad statistic. Um, but illiteracy back then would have been fairly common especially in very poverty-stricken areas where you couldn't go to school because you had to earn money so that you could support your family from a young Mm. age yeah So, so Um, In the next scene, it's the big seminar about the pill. And Dr. Turner's very excited as he explains all of the merits of the pill. And Sheila is standing by her man and supporting him with the flip chart. Stand by by your man. man. Mm -hmm. While, you know, like Julianne's having an absolute like, meltdown. You're all all shit. (laughs) I fucking hate you all with your liberals. also um Trixie then goes to there's like it cuts and then it goes to a scene where Trixie is doing a yeah I didn't I didn't
1: I did I mean I know she's talking about pleasure and taking pleasure from something and the pleasure taking over her life and obviously becoming but I just didn't get this cutting it just didn't work for me
0: at all and I don't know whether they're kind of like because she her whole speech is about hedonism, basically. But yeah. it's interesting because a lot, you know, she talks about these, uh, you know, with loving detail about maraschino cherries and different Campari and drinks she likes. Popping to a cherry. Yeah, popping a cherry. She uses that terminology, which again is another heavy-handed metaphor. But it's interesting because just from Trixie's perspective, like I know we've talked about alcoholism before, but with alcoholics, a lot of them have an underlying mental health condition, whether it be anxiety or depression. And it's usually, you know, some people self-medicate with drugs um, and some people self-medicate with alcohol. And with Trixie, it's very interesting that her self-worth, because she says, you know, she associated having a drink with friendship and being cared for. And And having a good time. And having a good time, because she had no other measuring stick, because that was how she was raised. But also it kind of emphasises her own sense of self-worth. And it's quite low... And she didn't really feel like she was owed friendship or people wouldn't care about her unless she was this exciting vixen in the middle of a room. And it's interesting because even as she's saying that and she's saying, you know, I've grown so much and I understand the value of friendship. And, you know, Patsy and Delia have accepted her. She's said that she's an alcoholic and they're like, that's very brave of you. She's still playing Shirley Temple and flirting in the middle of AA. Sober. Sober. So it's interesting because we know That's that her. I don't think it is her though, because what she's basically saying is, you know, I wanted to die and all of this. And I'm, I, you know, I, well, no, she didn't, she didn't want to die. No, she says she, in, in there, she says that she, um, you know, I just wanted to die. And she, she basically, she doesn't say I wanted to die. She said, you know, we all understand those feelings of wanting to die and not being happy. So she basically by omission admits that she was suicidal Um, But I think it's interesting that even as she's saying, you know, I've had these great over the last year that I've been coming to AA and, you know, I've done such personal growth and I've stopped drinking. and I've recognized that friendship's important, but she basically says, I'm so bored. Like it's so boring without this stimulant that gives me that pleasure. And that makes me feel interesting. And I'm like, what she, what she really needs to do, because even as she's saying like, I don't need all of this. She's still playing that vixen role. She's still playing that alluring like she's playing the room. Under when she's when she's looking at specific people in the group and she's saying I making these little jokes and you know for one minute she's sultry and the next minute and it's this very planned sort of almost soliloquy to alcohol. She's still playing the room and I'm like undercurrent wise Trixie is this incredibly depressed person and we see this throughout the series you know when when we first see her she's this really like you know this blonde vixen that's very bright and is always mixing drinks and the f- life and soul of the party but as soon as we get to like the raw issues with her alcoholism we recognize that there is a huge amount of depression underneath that and even a year on the way that she speaks and the way that she's running that room she is perfor- it's performative it's not
1: it is, but it's performative. Without the alcohol, it's showing us that the alcohol didn't make Trixie Trixie. The alcohol just numbed the the depression, or numbed the sadness, or numbed the issues that were going on mental health wise. But I don't think she's dealt with those issues. That's what I'm saying. No, well, obviously, yeah, she Trixie has it, still she has lapses. But, yeah. but but I think from the point i think from the point of view of the scene is that trixie is that person she just can't connect to that person without the alcohol in a social setting there's there's a go on
0: no 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 carry on no no please I just I find so often whenever you have anyone who is addicted to any substance, whether it be alcohol or drugs or, you know, whatever, often as soon as you get that person off that substance, what you recognize quite quickly is that there is an underlying condition, whether it be anxiety or uh, depression and what I find yeah. with Trixie is like at this time there wouldn't have been any, any antidepressants there wouldn't have been anything to help with her mood and when she's saying like I still you know I feel bored I'm bored with life and oh it's so ghastly that I can't have a drink and I recognize that actually when I was on having a drink I was going further downhill and it was sending me into a spiral so I recognize that but she longs for it she longs for it, and all addicts. If you're an addict, you but will be an addict her, until the day you die. That's her perception. That's her perception. She
1: feels she needs that to be that bubbly person. What the scene is showing us is that she can be the flirty, the funny, the the
0: engaging, um, trixie without it. It's but the fact that pers- she can't recognise that with her own it's, perception. Yes, says exactly. There is an underpinning of poor self-esteem, which yes, will. As, will eventually accrue to depression and we see that when she relapses and we see that in further things even in the context of when she's like you know i recognize that i i am deserving of friendship so clearly she didn't feel deserving of friendship and that's related to self-worth so there's some growth but she's clearly still depressed yeah oh yeah yeah i like from my perspective i'm like oh this woman needs sertraline do you know what i mean (laughs) like just she's depressed and the thing is, a lot of the time, if you have someone who's trying to come off substances, there's lots, there's, it's always multifactorial. And I know we've talked about this in a previous episode, so I don't want to go too much into it. But she clearly has depression and anxiety and some sort mm. of trauma from the fact that her dad was an alcoholic and she probably would have seen and things that would have traumatised her. And that's not dealt with. And because it's not dealt with, the issue will always be recurrent. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's at a healthy place where she can have insight and recognize patterns of previous behavior, but she still is still modifying her behavior and require. She's still playing the room. And when I was watching this, I was like, she is, but know? she thinks
1: she needs the alcohol to play the room, and this scene is showing that she doesn't. The issues with her self esteem are not down to her not being. A performer, or not being the life and soul, or not being somebody that people want to be around because she's fun. It, that that's the problem, That's the root. She feels that she needs the alcohol to be the person everyone wants to be around at the party. And this scene is showing us that she doesn't. This scene is showing us that she is engaging, that she is funny, that people do engage and want to be around her. It's her own demons inside. That need the alcohol to show that she doesn't need it.
0: But systemically, she still has a need to control her environment, which is indicative of her childhood when she would have to control her environment in order to manage the trauma of having an alcoholic parent. She's playing the room like a pro. Yeah, and the room like a pro. And those learned behaviors will create, basically, what she's doing is she's going, nobody will meet my needs. So in order to have my needs met and to have the validation that I require in order to validate my recovery, I am going to control and play this room. And it's the fact that she cannot relax and just go, you know, I'm really shit weak and I feel a bit down, but I'm really proud of my progress. She can't do that. She still has to play the room and play that vixen kind of character in order to elicit the response that she craves and in that it's indicative that there is still that underlying trauma that she needs yes. to be managed because Absolutely. she is still trying to ma- she still has to manage everyone in her environment and you can see her specifically targeting people while she's giving this long monologue and I'm like you are controlling the room and you are running the room and that necessity indicates to me that there's still that self-esteem issue yes
1: but she feels she needs the alcohol to run the room. She wants to run the room. She needs yes, she to run to the run room. room. She needs to run the room.
0: And she obviously went to alcohol because she found that she was more vivacious or, you, you know, had more personal, energy to do more it. it energy in order more energy. Yeah, yeah. And therefore it was a winning formula because it allowed her to have her needs mate met and she felt fabulous doing it. Yeah. And you can see how people fall into that trap. Absolutely. Of, Absolutely. You know and I will caveat this by the fact that this is a drunk podcast and clearly um, people. We're are doing crazy. exactly
1: the same thing. We're
0: doing a Trixie, motherfuckers. Um, but yeah, back to the seminar, because this is the weird thing. They're in the middle of the pill chat and everybody's giving these like their own thoughts about sexual promiscuity. And then you have Trixie who's just like, I haven't drank in an entire year. And it's like, it's- why was this in here? one abstinence
1: versus another abstinence mm-hmm. that's why it's in there
0: Back to one December. addiction one need one lust it's true but in the next scene julienne does not want to promote promiscuous sex and her concern is that if they offer unwed women the autonomy to control their own birth control outside of requiring men to wear condoms which A lot of men refuse to wear it basically gives women too much power and then the idiots might have have, start having sex for funsies and it's only good for dolphins it's not good for humans in Julian's eyes should we let people into a secret here sex is fun
1: sex is really fun sex is fun if you can do
0: it with no with no consequences sex is fun absolutely um so Tom actually isn't first. So when she's like, and I would like to hear Reverend Herawood, which kind of reminds me of like, you know when, um, oh, you know when you're watching something and on TV and they're like, okay, so we're going to talk about aeroplanes and um, you know we're going to talk to an aeronautics specialist who builds aeroplanes and is a pilot and has 50 years of experience, but then for the sake of balance we're going to talk to john who believes the sky is a carpet painted by god and then john's like what are they going to do stick the airplane on the carpet <laughs> and like <laughs> that's kind of like we have a doctor Nurses, midwives, people who are specialists within this field. But we need a moral view. We need a moral view. Moral moral view of Tom. What would the Archbishop say? What would Tom say about this? And Tom's like, what are the government's guidelines? And Which is a really fair question. Yeah. And Julienne's like, fuck the government guidelines. What does God say? What's the God God guidelines? Um, and basically she steamrolls Tom. Um, at which point I would say he doesn't deal with it well no he's an absolute hypocrite Tom cites Paul's letter to Corinthians which is let each man be with his wife and each woman look to her husband at which point Patsy is like uh I am outraged
1: I'm a lesbian
0: and I do not approve (laughs) I love by the way in this scene that Patsy and Delia are sitting next to each other like I was absolutely hanging out the back of you like Twenty-four hours ago I and licked now it's too
1: dry and now we're having
0: to talk about this. <laughs> oh, these heterosexuals with a nonsense. They're such wankers, they don't know Honestly. good sex if it slapped them in the face. Delia's like, I'm still tired. I've still got shaky legs. Yeah. Um I'm still Delia getting a that... fluttering the funny. <laughs> um Delia then sort of gives an example about, you know, there's a young man and a young woman, and they know it's wrong. And they know they must fight this uh, lure between them. But, they can't, but the urge is just too much, and they're overcome. And it's clearly she. It's interesting because it's almost how ju- how she justifies her own relationship. Yeah. Like that I is think how she's she talking her. about her own relationship. She absolutely is, where she's like, they just can't control it anymore. Like one of them is hit by a milk float, and then. Has <laughs> to go to wales <laughs> and then the other one gets them back and then the boy and the girl end up living together in a convent and they're literally bedrooms apart but the distance and everything and all of a sudden one of them like drops something and the other one's like you've got a great pair of pins and that's it all it's like a house of Cards, and they all just cave absolutely um and you can i wonder like I think Phyllis kind of clocks them quite early because Phyllis knows everyone's business. But I also feel like Julienne knows Sister. I feel like she can't know for moral reasons, but I think she recognizes that these two have a stronger connection than normal between each Oh, it and reminds friends. me of
1: that fanfic. What's the fanfic where Sister Julienne asks them to share a bed because there's two
0: nun? Oh, yeah, I've watched that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't remember. A subtle a good push. One. A subtle push. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Mm. Yeah. Shout out to uh, the AO3 writers out there. Yes. Um, but um, Delia, said, so Delia goes on this, like, you know, they can't keep fighting this desire between them. And then they turn again to Reverend Hereward, who, who says, um, Tom says, well, I would I would argue i would advise self-restraint but that's Um, what he is doing but i I mean if he was if he had less
1: self-restraint he would have absolutely nailed barbara against that wall there's no doubt
0: she would have been she would have been so far hammered into that wall
1: they (laughs) wouldn't have got her out
0: for a month but it's interesting because the scene ends at that point and then barbara's got to go because she's got to go to gina um and she absolutely calls him out on his bullshit and she's like it's pure hypocrisy how can you sit there and say about self-restraint when you've left a brill cream mark and i'm having to tell everyone that it's exoplasm i thought that was
1: harsh i thought i think he did show self-restraint he was probably hard as a flipping rod of iron at that point and he
0: did nothing about it fair play to him i mean he is a priest he's pretty committed to the lifestyle um, but I think it's interesting because he says to her, "It's like, Barbara, are you telling me that you believe in sex before marriage? And there's almost a little light in his eyes as if he's like, fucking hell. Like, if she believes in sex before marriage, I'm going for it. I'll, 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 I'll have her. And Barbara kind of pauses now. and goes, Barbara pauses and she's like, of course I believe in not having sex before marriage. And he's like, okay, okay, well, I'm going to have to put a ring on it. Um. But she also says, you know, quite rightly, she's like, I work in Poplar and I work as a midwife and I see sat, like only a couple of episodes. It was a mum literally ripping out her daughter's uterus out oh, of fear because the daughter had, had an illegitimate child. Like this was a genuine. And, you know, we talk about how like women's rights were infringed, but. Women were always the one that got the shitty end of the stick. You know, we had that teacher a couple of episodes, like, last series, where she had to... She tried to induce a miscarriage and ended up, like, stabbing herself and effectively causing herself to be sterile. Like, you know, so many women were damaged by yes. what was essentially a puritanical Christian viewpoint of what female sexuality should be. Because, ultimately, men didn't carry the penance for sexual you know sexual relations it was on the woman to remain as pure as possible and to resist men and to stay strong and should they get pregnant all the shame was on them so men were quite free to go around and shag whatever they wanted and it it wasn't their responsibility most of the time and that that was like a terrible terrible situation to be in for a woman so the pill was actually this amazing thing because it did allow women to be more sexually liberated and that allowed them to actually take some time. And, you know, it, it's sad because, uh, you know, I was talking to my mother-in-law about this and she was like, you know, in the 60s, you didn't really have the option to say no. If your husband wanted to have sex, you had to have sex. You know, if, if well, your husband marital, wanted to have sex without protection, you had to do it. rape
1: wasn't a crime until the early 1990s. Yeah. And even so, like so men could
0: rape their wives, yeah, that's disgusting, like women's rights are so limited, and you know we we live in a very i I would say we're very fortunate to be live in the societies that we do do, where we have this autonomy, but ultimately, like so much power is left to the hands of the men, and the women are ultimately always the losers in these situations, like even now, how many single mums do you know? Who had a baby thought the dad would kind of stick around, didn't, and then just had to kind of deal with raising a child on their own. Because I could list you off at least twenty that I know. Okay, I could
1: perhaps go
0: with one. I, I, think, I think we. Too many. Yeah, I think we. We run in different, different circles. circles. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, my secondary school actually built a crash because of all the pregnant teenage really? mums. Yeah, my, because wow. so many, so many like 15 to 16 year olds were missing their GCSEs, which is one of those core exams that you have to do. They actually built a nursery on the site of the school. It was later shut down because it was found to be really bad. But um, so many girls were pregnant. So many girls were pregnant when I was doing my GCSEs. It was, it was not even funny. Um, poverty. What can you do, eh? But um, so. The next scene, it's the start of a very, very bad night. So, no, actually, it's not the start of the bad night. So, Barbara goes to Gina, and Gina's giving birth, and it's a very long, complex pregnancy. Um, but when Barbara, at the, the next morning, so she's effectively been there for 12 hours, um, calls the husband in, le- useless husband of the week. He's been asleep for the entire <laughs> thing. And it's like, oh, you've just woken me up. And she's like, can you call narcissist and tell them to send more gas and air because Gina's really suffering? Um, next scene, Patsy goes to pick Daisy's kids up Because of course she does That is not the job of a nurse Or a midwife It is not her job to pick up somebody's children And take them to the local primary school You know, Julianne's always pulling her hair out And being like, ah, oh, our, our midwives we know, We're so short Maybe your midwife shouldn't be doing these jobs
1: I feel like they would see that as being part of their community role
0: no it absolutely isn't this is why we have social workers not at this point in history i recognize that but like (laughs) like it is not a midwife's job to fucking get up at nine o'clock and escort someone's children to school that's not like that is so far out of their job description it's oh yes
1: but a, it's a TV show, Charlie. B, it's the 1960s. C,
0: fucking get off your high horse. It just irritates me. I'm like, of course, Patsy and Winifred are picking up the children and taking them to school because of the fucking cost. They, they, they needed a they needed a filler Shut up, girl. They have the children have a father. He's on the barge living. The is parked. He's given up his job for Liverpool for a week. He can take his fucking children it to school. It was actually. Come oh, on. it just absolutely drives me mad. It's like <laughs> fucking <laughs> insensible. Phyllis um gets to the house and brings in gas and air, and you can see Phyllis kind of reading the signs that the dad's a bit shit. Um, and the Barbara's absolutely fucking Barbara's like, I've oh, fucking basically been nurse, midwife, and dad to this child. Um. Daisy um, goes to the mum and baby home. Sheila is very nice. She brings in a load of clothes, which have all been stamped with property of, which is a really insulting thing. And I don't think we see her do that to any other mother. Oh, it's she- for this scene, though. I'm sure it is for
1: every... O- I mean, I went to a hospital and it had the bloody hospital stamp on everything. Yeah, like,
0: that's you understand- now... Like, we understand why they do that, but from the t- you can see that, that that... From her point of view, she feels it's, it's like, an insult. And also, yeah. she's like, you think I'm going to steal this? You think yeah. I'm going to steal these clothes? And that's where the mistrust is kind of fostered. Yeah. Um, but that's just so, a miscommunication. That is normal. She yeah. just
1: doesn't understand that's normal. And that's why it's important that when we have these miscommunications it's important that somebody takes
0: responsibility for trying to to to, to not have that miscommunication yeah but also you, and, you should, if you know that this is a community that you're going to be serving all the time you would you would have someone who would go okay i'm going to spend a bit of time and learn this community and understand what their needs are and you see that again and again and again with ninatus where they go right we've got this particular group that have moved into Poplar, We're going to learn some of the language. We're going to find out what their, you know, what their specific needs are and how they would usually have a child. And then we will tailor the care for that need. But I imagine barge people so rarely actually come to clinics and engage with medical staff. This may be the first time they've ever engaged. So it's a difficult situation all round. But are there that many canals in Poplar? though? Well, it's London, isn't it? So there's quite a few. Mm, okay. Like There's quite a few Because obviously it was the centre of commerce and trade A lot of barges And things would end up in London So it probably would have been like a little mini hub mm, Okay So next scene Gina is giving birth The husband is so distressed By the sound of her giving birth He's got his hands over his ears as she's giving birth He absolutely And It's interesting because we don't really talk about the trauma of childbirth with the father of the child or the second parent, because obviously not everyone has a a dad. Some people have two mums or whatever. But um, I imagine if you love somebody and you watch them go through that kind of trauma, because childbirth is traumatic, no matter how you cut that, slice that cake, um, and you see the person you love in that much pain. And also if he is popular born and bred no doubt he would have seen his mum have lots and lots of children and for some reason when I was watching this I thought we might get a backstory where he was like I heard my mum giving birth and it was really traumatic as a child and that's what's made me be so distant during the gestation and pregnancy of this child because I was really worried that something might happen like that would have been a justifiable backstory but we never get any of that He's basically just completely disconnected to the entire situation and is clearly really distressed when she's giving birth. And so I was like, you know, there's clearly some trauma there, but at the same time, fucking you need to be there, lad. Um, Gina, after she gives birth, she gives birth to a little boy. She starts to break down and she says that she doesn't think Leslie, her husband wants her or the baby. And, They'd only been going out for three months when she fell pregnant and they had to get married. And, you know, she feels like she's forced him into this situation and he doesn't really love them. Which, again, kind of ties into the pill, because if she'd been on contraceptives, they'd have never got married. They'd have never got married. And they'd probably I mean, so now so the average at this time women would be getting pregnant at 21, 22 if you were lucky, like most of them were like 18, 19, because as soon as you had sex, you were high likelihood to get pregnant. And now women are waiting until they're like 40s to have kids. Women are waiting longer and longer and longer to have their first child. Because women are now getting that choice in their own, when they're ready to give up their autonomy and have children. Because children are hard work. It's <laughs> um, fucking hard work. fucking hard work. I love like... I've got nieces and nephews, and I absolutely love them all, but it's hard work with a baby. Um so but Phyllis kind of reassures Gina and is like, Well, it's a bit late to be worrying about that, isn't it? That's your reassurance. Uh you're already you've just shit out a baby, so good luck to you. Um Barbara and Phyllis then walk home, and Phyllis sort of opens up about how she was born and raised illegitimately because she didn't have a dad. And um, she also says that she slept with a Canadian Air Force sergeant and um, they had one weekend away. And I wonder if she gave this information because she recognised that about the brew cream. And she I wonder if she worked out that it was Tom and Barbara and she wanted to give Barbara some support. I think so. I definitely think so. That's how I read the scene. Because I love their relationship. I love that Phyllis oh, is almost besties. like a mum. But, but Phyllis besties. is also like her mum, isn't she? She's that older sister yeah. mum kind of vibe. But Babs is very happy to find out that this woman that she clearly respected has had an un- unmarried sex. <sighs> Next scene, Patsy and Delia are eating apples, more apple metaphors, more usuals. And they're watching the full moon. And, t- and I find it interesting because Patsy is chatting about work. She's like, I'm so worried about the barge children. They smell and they need showering and their clothes are embarrassing and they're being bullied at school. And Delia's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to go to the gay bar. <laughs> and I find it really interesting because this scene is very indicative of how their relationship works out. Because as soon as Delia goes, I... I have this need, there is something that I really want I really want to go to the gay bar Patsy physically and emotionally withdraws, she has a hand on her shoulder and then she takes it down Um, she kind of leans away, her tone changes and she's like, why? and Delia says to her because there are women like us there Um, and Patsy says, we've discussed this I don't want to be with women like us I just want to be with you and I think this is Interesting because clearly Delia is not... Delia understands how to work, doesn't she? She does know how to work. Patsy, so she knows she has to lay some... She has to sow some seeds before anything else can going to happen. Yeah. Um, so there's clearly been conversations prior to this, which is why Delia's like, right, you've had your moment to have a think about it. Now we're going to the gay bar. But also... Patsy's got so much internalised homophobia and she's like, I don't want to be with other women like us because she doesn't but want to is, go with gay.
1: Well, yeah, the, there's that to it, but there's also the emotion of, I just want to be with you. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to spend my time with you on just us.
0: And that that would be lovely, but I don't buy it. I i think with patsy a lot of her internalized homophobia will be based around the society that she was raised in so i think she is like you know gays are bad people you know there are some good ones but a lot of gay people are bad you know what i mean like they're they're morally promiscuous and she'll have bought into the societal view of what homosexuality is whereas delia's like i want to go somewhere where there are more people like me i want my identity to be validated well, Delia and wants to be part of a community Delia wants to be part of a
1: wider community
0: and Patsy is like no I don't But really I can have see, community but I'm I can see, see Patsy from Patsy's
1: point of view I can see that as oh my god Delia is this amazing person who has no issues who is so beautiful and so lovely if we join this wider community she's going to see that there are people that you know that she might like better than me and she's going to leave me and there are more choices for her in that community i just want us to stay how we are
0: i don't know whether i buy into this idea that patsy has this sense of you know fear of i mean yeah patsy has a fear of loss
1: she massively
0: has a fear of loss 1000 percent. but i just don't know if i buy the I just think with Patsy she she does have she struggles more with internalized homophobia than Delia mm. does. Delia is much more accepting of herself, but that comes from a fact that she was loved a lot more and she comes from a very strong identity and she knows who she is and she's more comfortable with that. Whereas Patsy has a lot more shit to wade through. I imagine with Patsy she's one of those people that's like, Oh, for fuck's sake, and I'm a lesbian. I was <laughs> everybody's dead and i was raised in a war camp and i'm a dyke like this is another issue that she has to stumble across um and she's so emotionally closed off whereas delia's like yeah the more the merrier like i want to meet more people like me and like do you know what i mean There, and i also think in a, any relationship you always have one outgoing person and one introvert and the outgoing person kind of adopts the introvert and then they get married Okay. Do you know what I mean? No. Do you, like, I hate going to bars. I was going to say, do you have, like, a local gay bar? No. Do you not? No. We have one. We have one that's quite close by. I hate going in there because it's full of straight people. Really? It's all hen and stag dudes and because the beers like the, the beers are cheaper and it's it's bars that's open latest it's not that
1: they know they'll have a good time without being pestered that's
0: but I remember going into the gay bar when I was <laughs> oh for legal reasons I'll say I was 18 but I was probably a bit younger and um <laughs> and I remember dancing with this random woman and um it was a great night. I had an absolute ball of a time, but um, it was just full of straight. It was just full of straight people even back then. And I remember talking to this woman, and she was like, "I'm actually like, I hope you don't hit on me because I'm actually straight." And I'm like, "What the fuck are you doing in my bar? <laughs> <laughs> get out! Get out um, of my bar! Get out of my bar!" Um, but yeah, I don't know if anybody else's experiences, but I find, and also with gay bars. I find that they're predominantly built for gay men. I don't know if that's other people's experiences, but I would find I would say like six nights out of seven it's gay man's night. And then you might find like three lesbians and they're all married to one another. (laughs) Or in a a complex throuple. (laughs) It was all very complicated. I don't know. I always managed to find someone to snog at the end of the night, but... (laughs) So yeah, so and, uh, so Pat Delia then says, we can hold hands there, we can dance there, we can be in a crowd and we can disappear and Patsy literally shuts down the conversation and is like, I'm sorry, you know my feelings on this and then silence, that's the decision made and I find that that's their relationship all over. Delia's like, I have this need, I want to do the thing and Patsy's like, no, why take us out of this comfort zone again? And then Delia's like, no, I really want to. And Patsy's like, no. And then the scene ends. And then the next thing we see, they're doing whatever Delia wants to do. Yeah, of course. They always do As what Delia na- wants to do. As nature intended. Delia always gets her way eventually. It just usually takes a lot more effort. <laughs> she needs to plant the seeds. And then Patsy
1: goes along with it.
0: Patsy eventually does it because she's like, oh, OK, I want to make you happy. And I do love you. But this is what I said before about how Delia is the one that moves their relationship on Delia is the one that causes and promotes their growth Patsy would just stay the same forever if Delia didn't turn up and make a change yes I think that's true And, and Patsy does it because she loves her so the next scene Patsy showers the children and gives them all clean clothes now for Patsy I imagine having a child that appears to be physically dirty and who appears to have had like a poverty high lifestyle. I imagine for her, that is something that she would value very highly. Like I want these children to be clean. I want them to have clothes because I didn't have clothes and I wasn't clean when I was a child because I grew up where I grew up. But it's again, a very much assimilate to our culture. So she's changing the children because that's what her culture and her biases say that a child should look like. And she's not considering the fact that the children come from their own culture and actually have their own cultural needs. And the children go with it because the children are children. And this is a person in authority who's telling them that this is what you need to do.
1: But they like it because it's people that are giving them jam on bread and telling them this and that. And they're being seduced by it. And it's nice. It's different. It's lovely.
0: Everyone loves a bit different. Um. But it it doesn't go down well. So Daisy is in the mother and baby unit and her blood pressure is doing a lot better. And Patsy brings the kids in because, of course, Patsy brings the kids in because she hasn't got a fucking full time job or anything. (laughs) She brings the children to the mothers and babies home and Daisy sees them and she's like, why do you smell like knit shampoo? And Patsy's like, oh, you know, Sister Winifred insisted that they had. You know knit hair shampoo Put into them because they might be dirty And Daisy says you know my children don't have knits Because they've never been to school School's where you get knits Um, And she says why have you put my children in these clothes They're completely against the culture That they were raised And effectively she freaks out And is like that's it I'm leaving I don't want to stay in this mother and baby I'll have this baby independently it's fine And storms out and takes the children And Patsy This is one of those moments where Patsy has to learn The next scene, a storm is blowing in on Poplar and Fred is nearly hit by a rogue tile from a <laughs> <laughs> Every The whole gang is holed up in the Narsus watching TV. Monica Jones is gutted because the antenna rips the, um, the wind rips the TV antenna down. Sheila calls for help. Um, for the mother and baby hospital and Trixie answers the call and says she'll go but you can tell already from the vibe that it's going to be a busy night the phone rings off immediately as soon as Trixie agrees to go and Cynthia has to take it they're all taking phone calls and going to calls immediately because there's so much happening because of course when there is the storm of the century you know everybody has to go what? Everybody has to go and deliver babies. Can't, um, be a quiet, can't be a quiet night with the busiest storm of the well, year. You know, babies are created in a storm.
1: Why can't they be born in a storm?
0: It's so very true. So on the barge, it's all going wrong. Um, as Trixie's walking to the mother and baby home, she finds a stray pregnant woman, which she kind of adopts and takes with her to the mother and baby home. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're nearly hit by some sort of debris from the storm. Gina, the mother who gave birth With the shit husband earlier She's not doing so hot She says she's got a migraine and pain Daisy, the barge woman, she's going into labour And her husband's like, you know, I'll ring the nurse And she's like, no, me and that nurse Had words, I can't possibly Go back and ask for help now And then she says, Lou, my nine-year-old Child will deliver the baby And Lou's like, oh, fucking hell I didn't think I'd be promoted quite so soon Um gina then it goes back to gina and gina's actively hallucinating she's saying that she can see white spots the electricity on poplar is being damaged so people don't have electricity and phone lines are dropping all over the place it's a very severe storm and um, gina's gina is literally like i can't see white spots i don't know who i am anymore and it, gina's, hus- <laughs> gina's husband's like you'll be all right shut the fuck up gina um Lou then goes to fill up a pail of water because she's going to be delivering this baby. A thunderstorm comes and she freaks out and just legs it to Poplar because she's like, I am not doing this for shit. Um, (laughs) Trixie arrives at the mothers of babies home and Sheila's like, I'm going to have to deliver this very complex birth that's happening. Um, And so Trixie is left to deliver two babies at which point the electricity stops working. So she's like, I'm going to deliver two babies in the dark. Um, they're both in very active labour Gina meanwhile is just Is laying on the bed and tells her husband that she's gone blind And it's at this point that her husband goes Alright I'll go to the phone booth So he, he takes a leisurely stroll to the phone booth She's probably going to be dead in the next like, five minutes um, uh, Lou, the daughter Gets to an artist and finds Patsy and says You know you've got to come with me My mum's about to give birth Dr Turner has roped in Tim and Tim has become a in electrician. Does this child ever get to do anything? <laughs> no, <to> even... <laughs> no, he
1: doesn't. No. They're
0: literally like, who can we get to rewire the whole of the mother? Tim, he hasn't got school in the morning. So Tim basically has to crank this lever until the morning in order to provide power for, for the mother and baby's home um, through kinetic energy. I, I, I mean, that boy must have wanked so much in order to provide the amount of power that is required to keep that arm <laughs> pumping
1: the oh he's had a labour. lot of practice
0: he's had so much practice i mean to be fair it's not as though his parents are ever home to keep an eye on him true do you know what i mean does he does share a bedroom with his sister though he did oh um patsy arrives at the barge uh it turns out all the barge women of around the area have heard the sound of her screaming in agony yay the her. community comes so the barge community that we've heard so much about but haven't been a parent they're like it's all right we'll take the kids where, where are you, you? now nah. where you, you, you crack nah. on um so they've turned up on mass um initially the girl's like what about this one pointing to the nine-year-old and she's like she's old enough to be useful and the mum's like nah take her with you and Lou's like oh I get to be a child for another nine months until you get pregnant again um (laughs) Phyllis is called by Gina's shit husband and Phyllis tries to call for an ambulance but she can only get half of the address down before the phone lines are smashed So so she drives to the flats and has to use the stairs she gets there and Gina's basically on the brink of death. Um meanwhile Leslie's like I don't know who I am anymore. I've just realised I've got a wife and child. It's taken the fact, um, it's taken her nearly dying for me to recognise this fact.
1: And that he loves
0: her. Yeah, he's only just worked out that he really likes her. Um So at this point, Phyllis says, "Okay, what you need to do is, Leslie, you need to go downstairs because an ambulance is going to come up with a stretcher and safely deposit your wife to the ambulance. And Leslie goes, no, I've been shit this entire episode. And now I will selfishly decline my fucking screen time. He's like, agent (laughs) has said. He's literally like, no, I've been completely vacant and emotionally absent for the entire episode. But now, now I'm required to go out of the scene. I think I'll fucking stick around for a little bit. I can't possibly leave my dying wife. So Phyllis then says it has to work. She's like, right, you need to put the house coat on because your blood pressure and your temperature will be dropping because you clearly have an infection and active hemorrhage. So what We're going to need to do is we're going to need to walk rather than you go downstairs and get the ambulance staff so they can safely stretch her. We're going to put more stress on this poor woman who has been abandoned for her entire pregnancy and has given birth on her own and has this huge anxiety that you're shit. no, no, rather than you face a, a slight inconvenience, Leslie. What we're going to do is we're going to force this very critically ill woman to walk down eight flights of stairs. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, but she's point, got to go down I'd, at some
0: point. She could go down on a stretcher. He could go down, flag down the ambulance, and then they could safely carry her downstairs. But Leslie's like, no, I've just realised I give a shit about my family. So rather than do the right thing, I'm going to continue to be a shit husband. And but I don't give that a shit. I don't give enough of a shit. I give a shit, but I don't give enough of a shit. So. Then they, there's a scene where they're trying to edge downstairs And and Phyllis has got the newborn baby cradled in her arm And Leslie is helping his wife Gina down the stairs And Gina is so unwell She's vomiting down the stairwell And he's like, she's been sick And Phyllis eventually has to swap him out Because he's so shit He then holds his child for the first time Across the entire episode she continues mm. to help them down. And Phyllis is like, I'm helping you out, lovebirds. And it's like, fucking throw him down the stairs. Like, she could do a mil- She could do this on her own at this point. Yeah, like, he's no he help. He's no help. About much use as tips on a fish, this boy. Um, And then Jean is puking. Um, they get to the ambulance and effectively, like... G- So they get to the ambulance, and and Phyllis is like, you watch your wife, Leslie. And Leslie's like, I'm never going to leave her again. And Phyllis is like, don't worry, Gina. He really loves you. And I'm like, he has literally made the most minimal effort at this point. He has been completely vacant throughout the entire pregnancy. He hasn't bothered his ass while you were dying for the last, like, four hours in a storm. He only got off his bum when you were when you went blind and then at that point he still made you walk down eight flights of stairs while you were hemorrhaging rather than go down and get the ambulance staff sack him off mate sack him off you can do better the, yeah. honestly when it comes to straight people the bar is so low the fact that he's shown the tiniest amount of effort in the last five seconds they're like what a fucking man what a ma that's a golden anniversary, if I'm to judge. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, it's infuriating, it really is. Yeah, it is. Crap. But that's <laughs> how it was. It was it rubbish. Was. It still is, to be fair. So the next scene, the gang reform at Nanata's. Uh, the roads have been absolutely trashed in the storm. Um Fred is dressed as an ARP warden, because of course he is. And he's not. It's just what she recognises. He's a civil defence man. But he's got all these medals and pips attached to his. uh, Oh, of course. Of course. Um, Fred is saying that he's trying to clear the road, but he's doing a very bad job of it. At which point, Evangelina arrives back onto the scene. I love Evangelina. I Sister Vange. Sister Vange is back, baby. Um, she turns up and she says, oh, you'd think we'd never had a war. Um, <laughs> and she's like, "I, you would have known that it was coming if you'd, if you'd received my phone call. And, and Julianne's like, oh, I'm so glad you're back. <laughs> now I can be the good one and you can be the angry one. Um, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, pretty much. And... um." They say, oh, you know, our telephone wires have been completely trashed. And Evangelina's like, right, I'm going to sort this. So she immediately goes and sorts the telephone wires. And she's... We lived through the wall. We can sort this out right now. Exactly. Evangelina is back with a bust. Um, And then there's a scene immediately after that where Evangelina's telling Julianne, like, she's going to go straight to district. Um, But as she's doing that, it's noticed that she's only using one arm. Um, it's quite obvious that she's kind of shielding her left arm um, Evangeline says she only wants to go to district, um, she's not ready to be put back with precious cargo, um, and then Monica Joan arrives, and they, they do a thing where one of them says one half of a verse, and then the oh, other Oh, one... it's so sweet, and it's not verse, it's the Bible Yeah, it's so cute They love each other they do love each other um, Scene after that The barge gang head north um, Gina's had a little baby girl uh, Her husband learns um, Gina's husband Has learned not to be shit And has actively started to engage Within his family Which we're all very proud of him um, It then cuts to a scene where Julienne Goes to the garden and speaks to Evangelina About Her illness and evangelina says initially like she'd had a thought about the pill and she thought that's why they were talking to one another and she was like you know we god sends us signs that it's okay to accept it and julian says that's not what i want to talk to you about it's about your arm and evangelina then says that four months prior she had a stroke and she says that when she first had it she lost all use of her left side and it's all kind of come back within six weeks um but Through that stroke, she believed that God had taught her a lesson that she always must continue to learn and that nothing stays the same. And I have to say, Evangelina is very um, chill in this. Yes, considering she's had a stroke. But as well, I think Pam Ferris, she wanted to leave, didn't she? Because they wouldn't let her. Basically, she was because they changed studios she didn't want to do the commute because it would make her dog's life bad. Yeah, absolutely. So it, was about, it was about her dogs.
1: Yeah, So for it's that always reason, about the
0: dogs. It is always about the dogs. Um, in the next scene, Monica Joan and Evangelina are picking apples together because they are their besties. Um, and then Patsy and Delia go to de- gateways. Yeah. So they dance together and there's a um, a Jenny monologue over the tour, which says sometimes there's a ripeness of a moment. How do you think Delia won this one? What are your opinions on Gateways? Because you said that you saw some parallels between her and, to- and Tom and Barbara.
1: So do you remember um, Kate landed an interview where she said that they'd filmed a kiss before oh, season d- six had started? And there was a massive debate over where this kiss might have been. And some people in the chats that were going on at the time felt that it might have been the kitchen scene in one of the previous episodes. My view is that it was this scene at Gateways. I mean, it would have been acceptable at Gateways, wouldn't it? It would. I think... I don't think it was cut for today's moral issues. I think it was cut for um, storytelling reasons. (sighs) Why, though? Because I feel like the... Okay, so how I think it was is that it was a parallel with the Tom and Barbara scene at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Two couples who are together um, doing what two couples do, kissing in public. But I feel like the song, which was changed in the American version when it was shown in America, whether that's for copyright reasons or whatever, I don't know. But I think it was too heavy-handed. The song is all about I love how you love me, and it's all about kissing. And then the Jenny monologue at the end is all heavy-handed about taste this, touch this. And I just feel like that it was too much. Um,
0: it didn't work. And But I would argue that an episode where they have a soliloquy written by Trixie about... Her alcoholism and apple metaphors all over the joint. I feel like they could have put well, a apple, different. Well, the apple metaphors
1: never went anywhere, though, did they?
0: No, they never went anywhere. It was like, a Jenny... random
1: shite that was included for absolutely no but reason. But I wonder if
0: they did, if they did a kiss, perhaps they could have mentioned Adam and Eve, and they could have done a metaphor about how love and the apple and original sin that could have tied the whole thing together. I and think they also... bottled it, and it was too much. But also the next scene, Vangeline is praying and Tom and Barbara have a snog. So Tom yes. and Barbara kiss at the end. So I feel like if you had that juxtaposed against Patsy and Delia kissing, that would have actually created a real balance and about how the struggle between youth and you know, wanting to express those physical emotions in terms of when you really love somebody, that would have been really powerful. But I feel like a lot of this comes down to the fact that they're like, no, we can't have too many look we can't have the gays kissing at nine o'clock on the bbc mm, okay you, like i get what you're saying where you're saying like maybe she thought it was too heavy handed but at the same time if you can allocate like a whole five minutes handed for her audience but at the same time, if you can throw about metaphors about apples, which never go anywhere, and if you can have a five-minute soliloquy about alcoholism with Trixie, then you can have two lesbians kissing. Can you? Why is that the line?
1: Is it, it's not the line so, for me.
0: <laughs> and ultimately, ultimately, Patsy and Delia are in a committed relationship, whereas Tom and Barbara have been together for two episodes. You know, Patsy and Dilly have been together since Series Four. They've been together for over a year at this point. Why can't they have a cheeky snog in a gay bar? Of course they can.
1: I just feel like that for the hats, it was seen as too heavy-handed.
0: Once again, once I again, love, the game. I
1: love how you love me and all of that about taste this and touch this. It, I don't know. I kind of agree with it that it might have been too heavy-handed.
0: Do you really like I feel yeah, like I do. they have a, a story those two to kiss? No, from a
1: storytelling point of view, it feels a little bit contrived.
0: But we know from other scenes that these two were already like they were having sex. Like these two are mm. canonically oh, absolutely. sleeping together. Absolutely. So would it, it wouldn't be too much to expect the two of them to have a cheeky snog. It, it and I, I realize that maybe that we're coming from this from a gratuitous, like, oh, wouldn't it be fabulous if we could watch two women? kiss who we think like as from a lesbian community we so rarely get a like a nice couple that we can really root for but at the same time like fuck it if someone wants to write a fanfic where they're like and later on at gateways they absolutely snogged but i think they could have put this quite rationally i feel like it would have fit into the scene if these two had a kiss and it was like you know they actually had this moment but they really keep it very chast between these two even though you know from the social cues and things going on in the episode, they were probably the most sexually active out of all of the couples on the Yeah, I agree. And I find that really frustrating. Like why does the lesbian characters like unless they're being hit by a milk float. (laughs) And we said, never said that. (laughs) Do you? Yeah. Um, But that is the end of the episode guys. Um, any any last thoughts kid oh, so many last thoughts so many last
1: thoughts what are your
0: last thoughts i think the apple metaphor was heavy-handed and i, think, I feel like didn't. everything was heavy-handed And I I really feel like they missed a trick. I feel like there should have been a kiss at the end of this episode and it wouldn't have felt contrived and actually it would have really suited the purpose of the episode because if you're going to have Tom and Barbara snogging at least three times through three, four scenes, why can't you have Patsy and Delia kissing? Well, I feel like they were
1: the setup. I feel it was in editing the decision. I don't feel it was the writing that decided there'd be no kiss. I feel it was the editing that decided it. And either that's for time or for plot reasons or whatever but I feel this was where the kiss was I did to me I mean I'm sure maybe Emerald or Kate maybe one day will tell us it wasn't
0: but that for me this is where it was yeah I just I mean I don't know how comfortable the actress is I feel like Kate Lamb was really into it and Kate Lamb would have been quite happy with it I don't know whether Emerald Fennell would have been no yeah she strikes me as a little bit uncomfortable yeah plank of wood
1: plank of wood wood.
0: like a 1920s teddy bear um but yeah (laughs) i love that pick. i love that pick. so do i um but yeah that's the end of the episode guys um let us know what you think give us some feedback on the discord if you want leave a review please do um but yeah that's the end of the episode and we'll see you again next time bye bye